0: Have a seat, and Happy New Year. We've had people say that, hopefully wish you that several times. You're starting the year up right. You're starting the year up right. And not because you're here necessarily right with us, but you're starting the year right because it's so easy to call out to God when you need Him. Right? In America, we're so good at calling out for things when we need it. And and there's a phrase that that a lot of, I've heard in churches a ton. It's it's this phrase, God showed up. You know, and and, and people want God to show up. In their lives, one of the best ways, if you want God to show up in 2012, one of the best things you can do is not wait until you need Him to ask for Him to show up, or when you want Him to show up, but to 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 do what you're doing now to say this is this is going to be a priority from which the rest of my life revolves around. You know, I don't I don't fit God in when it's convenient. I don't fit God in when I'm alert. I don't fit God in when I've got had a lot of sleep or any sleep. But rather, there are certain things, God. I'm gonna I'm gonna start this year off where. Where from this year, you come first, and then, and then I'll figure the rest out. So, good job. You're starting our first day of the first year off off in, in a good way. So, that's great. Well, and, and I hope today is helpful for, for you today, um, as we go through this. Because it's a little bit different. Today's going to be a little bit different. Normally, most weeks, what we do when we open our Bibles together, is we, we, we look at what the Word of God says, and then we try to apply it to our lives as individuals. Or as families or, you know, as, as friends. But we, we generally try to do that. We open our Bibles together and then we try to apply it to either individually or ourselves as small groups. Today, we're still going to be opening our Bibles together, but we're going to be applying it to us. You know, it's not very often where we get a, a, a day where we're starting a, a new year on a Sunday. I thought it would be very appropriate for us to open our Bibles together corporately and then to say, okay, God, what does this mean for us as a church, so that's what we're gonna be doing doing today. We're gonna yeah I'm doing some things a little bit a little bit different. Well, part of my prep for this week involved looking back and, and saying, "Okay, God, where have you brought us?" That's important to do. That's important to do. And here's just a couple things that came to mind. And one of the the theme that that seemed to be reinforced as I looked back this week was this whole idea that this church was God's idea. This church, I can say that without a, without a, a bit of hesitation. This church was God's idea. Here's some, just some thoughts along these lines. Uh, the, the, for, at least for me, the first time I realized something was going to be happening was having devotions with my daughter, Emma. She was probably about three, four years old at the time, looking at a little devotional and reading it. And it was a paraphrase of Psalm 37, 7, which said, Be patient, be still, wait for the Lord to act. And that was what started this journey. I realized something's going to be happening and it's not something I get to just decide. It's not something that I'm going to try to figure out with my own head. God's going to do something and I need to watch as he acts, as he, as he goes and guides. And one of the things God did very early in the process was give us a name. God gave us a name, and there's a whole story behind that. And not only that, early on as we began to, to plan uh, to launch this new church, God gave us a body with gifts that match our needs. The Bible talks about how we're one body with many parts, and right from the start, God provided all these people, and at every critical juncture, he's done that. There were, we've always had what we needed coming from the people when we needed it. And then these next two I want to link together. Before we even, were a, 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 before we even met, God had given us favor with a Lutheran church that some of us had been a part of, and he also gave us favor with the covenant denomination of which almost none of us had ever been a part of. How many of you, before coming to Emmanuel Covenant Church, had ever been in the covenant? Okay, so look at that. So maybe a, a third, you know? So, so God took these two churches, <laughs> was this denomination and this Lutheran church, and out of that he gave us favor with both and, and created this thing. And then here, I want to talk about this one a little bit. God increased his provision through giving as his provision through outside support decreased. As I was looking back over the last couple years, in 2008, our first full year as a church, we received $70,000 from outside support. Meaning from the Covenant Denomination and from this other church. $70,000 in 2008. And by design, that was decreased over three years, so that in this last year, two thousand and eleven, we received zero. That was by design, but we received zero. So think about that in, in three years, just to break even, we had to generate seventy thousand dollars more in giving it, at a time when the, the economy was crashing, like I don 't know if you ever played this game Mario Karts, but there's this um there's this, uh, this, this road called Rainbow Road, and I, I crash in that one. I, I fall off, it's, and when you fall off, you're like a comet speeding to earth. You just burn up, and then you, are, you come back. It's quite a deal, but, but th- that's what our economy was doing, right? In a you know, while, we were supposed to be gaining 70000 a year. So, I, I, wow, I want to commend you. And, and the reason I want to commend you is not because you're giving, because that's just expected as God's people. I want to thank you for trusting us. I want to thank you for trusting us. Of the places you, the, the missions you could be investing in, thank you for that. I don't take that lightly. We, I take it extremely serious. We want every penny to be invested for God's purposes. More on that in a little bit. Okay, so those are some of the things. Here's a couple other things that came to mind as I was reflecting back over the year. Um, this one, this is crazy. God has entrusted us to steward Gospel Hills Camp, which is right down there, and the Shoreview Community Center. We didn't go looking for either one. We didn't push ourselves into it. We didn't develop some bidding war with somebody else. God led us to both, and God is trusting us to steward two of the most influential, significant properties that possibly could be stewarded by a church. Unbelievable. The teens with Gospel Hills Camp on Wednesday nights, here on Sunday mornings. Unbelievable. He's trusting us to do that. God is sending people our way. And I don't take that lightly either. It'd be one thing if we were out, you know, doing some kind of massive watered-down marketing campaign or something that's just, ge- just to generate numbers. But he's been drawing people through just uh, every imaginable source. We've, we've basically doubled um, since our first uh, our first January in in, in since two thousand eight that's that's crazy that's crazy and now here's what I get really excited about i don 't get excited about big crowds and we 'll say more about that in a little bit because bigger is not always better but what I'm excited about is this this the, the things that's happening like people are connecting with God and others in ways they weren't before this isn't just about people showing up. This is about people growing deeper. There are people reading their Bibles that we're not reading their Bibles. There are people attending services that we're not attending services three years ago. There are people who are are coming and they're volunteering. They're they're making friends that that they weren't making three years ago. uh, Go on and on and on. Um, Through our ministry partners, I'm excited about this too. Through our ministry partners, things are happening that otherwise wouldn't. There are kids who are being sponsored who would not be sponsored were it not for what God's doing through you. There are things that are happening that, that would not be happening because some of our partners don't have other partners, at least sizable ones. So thank you for that. And this next one, God provided us with a new and mostly furnished space to work and meet during the week. And, in, you know, it, just a couple years ago, our church office was in my basement, you know, and now we've got this great meeting place where people come and connect and work. And then this one I'm going to say more about later too, this last one. God is using us to provide a unique voice and expression among growing area churches. There's not a ton of growing churches in this area, which is shocking. But what's interesting is, among this growing church, God's given us a unique voice that isn't the same as the other ones that are, that are growing. We'll say more about that in a little bit, too. So, but, but the reason I start here is, this church was God's idea. And He has plans, and He has purposes. We've seen some of them but I believe we haven't seen all of them. So God is doing a great thing. And so what I did is I said, okay, God, um, what do you want to say to us? And I had some ideas. We were going to be talking about our name and all this kind of stuff. So I started off kind of on this path, and, and I, I came across this passage, and then I believe the Holy Spirit said, this is, this is the word for you guys this year. Um, John fifteen five. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him or her, they are the ones that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I feel like this is where we're supposed to spend our time today, looking at this, looking at the implications for us as a a church. Well, it says that we are the what? Branches, right? And he is the vine. He's the vine. Well, I was at Super Target this week. And I was going through the aisles, and I saw the word vine. I saw the word vine. I saw these bags say red vines. Red vines. Now, kids, where are the kids here? 12 or under. Where are you guys? Okay. Is this the kind of vine the Bible's talking about? No, this isn't the kind of vine the Bible's talking about. So I don't need these. But maybe some of you guys might want one. So, Miss Christina, can you come on up with your, your helper? Um, if it's okay with your parents, ask your parents. But if it's okay with them, if you want to raise your hand, they will give you one of these vines. Because we don't need these vines. That's not the kind of vine we're talking about. Um, the kind of vine that we're talking about today is a live, living vine, all right? A plant vine. I couldn't come up with one of those on short notice, but I went to my backyard back way back yesterday when it was actually, you could get to the ground and everything like that. What a difference a day makes. And I pulled this pulled this off of one of my pine trees. This is a dead vine right here. And, and we have a lot of these things that grow in our backyard. These vines. They, they, they take off, they grow. So we're talking about real vines today. But here's the thing about this vine. It's, it's dead. It's dead. I cut it off as I do a lot of the vines in our backyard. I cut the thing off and, and, it, and it's dead. This vine isn't, isn't good for a whole lot of stuff and we'll also be talking about that a little bit later too, but at least you got object lessons with it, right? Okay, so let's talk about these these vines. Now, um, the the thing I want to talk about with these these vines is is this church, this church that was God's idea, this church where we see God doing things through it already. We're only you know four years old, and God's already doing these things, changing lives, making a difference. This church. If we are a normal church, our best years are behind us. If we're a normal church, our best years are behind us already. And if we're a normal church, we're going to look like that dead vine. That's the track we're on. Um, I want to show you some stuff. I'm going to show you some stats here. For those of you who get nervous when you talk numbers in church, hold on, we'll we'll get to that, okay? But I want to show you some stuff. I want to show you some stuff that normally you don't... Talk about with congregations. Normally, this is the stuff that denominational officials look at. This is the stuff senior pastors look at with their executive teams. But I want to show you some things, because I think this is important. I think these, these are important numbers. I'll show you here on the graph. Let me show you um, some trends here. Here, here are, are how American churches are trending. This is, if, if you, when you do the research, this is how American churches are trending. Um, and I've, I've got it visually up here, too. Churches that are below 49... So 0 to 49, they're growing. On average, they're growing by about 2.5% um, a, a year. So churches that are from 0 to 49, on average, not everyone, but on average in America, they're growing. Now, what happens between 50 and 399, on average, they're declining. On average, the normal church that it has between 50 and 399 people are declining, all right, um, by about roughly uh, 1% per year, okay? So they're declining. Um, between four, I'll get out of the way here in a second, but um, between 400 and 449, 400 and 449, they're breaking even on average. No growth, no loss. On average, churches that are between 400 and 499 are breaking even. And then, when you hit 500, you start to grow again. On average, Um, and at 500, I believe it's they're growing by I want to say 0.1, 0.1 percent or 0.3 percent, but less than one percent. But they start growing again. So that's the that's the national um, averages. And so I looked at that and I said, Well, what about our what about our denomination? Because we're a part of this covenant church, and they work really hard to try to help churches become more vital and more vibrant. And so they 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 plant these new churches, and they and they help provide resources and structure and support and and all this type of thing. And on churches that are already existing, they have this revitalization program that that tries to help you know bring new life and and greater intent so they can become a vibrant, healthy, growing church. All right, well. I looked at our, our our stats in our denomination. It took a little bit of time because I had to do it all manually here. But I took our 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 Northwest Conference, which is the churches right in our area, and then I, I tried to chart this out. And here's 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 what I came up with. There's a, a 144 congregations in our Northwest Conference. 144. 133 of them have uh, less than 500 in attendance. And of those churches, 25 percent. Gained members last year. 25%. And of the churches that had more than 500 in attendance, 73%, 73% gained members last year. So you look at these two charts. You look at normal for America. You look at normal for our covenant churches right in this area. You see some similarities? One of the other things I was surprised to, 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 to find out, and I knew this one before this week, was that um, in America, only one in four churches, only one in four churches is able to grow beyond 250. Only one in four is able to grow beyond 250. Something happens with these churches that start off growing because most churches between zero and 49, most of them are growing. Something happens after they cross that 50 people and they slowly start they slowly start to decline. Something happens. And I I, I I look at that, and that concerns me. Now, now I, I mentioned to some of you who are nervous about numbers that, that I speak to that a little bit. We don't have time to, to say a lot, but let me just say this. I, I was thinking about that, because I, and I get it. I get why numbers can make people nervous. Um, but one of the analogies that came to mind is, you know, when we go to the doctor... You know, every time I go to the doctor, one of the first things, no matter what I go for, that they do is they go in and they check my weight, they check my height, see if I'm shrinking or something, I don't know, um, and then they take my blood pressure. They, they do these things with numbers. No matter what I go in for, they, they, they do these things with numbers. Do those numbers tell them everything they want to know? No, of course not. They don't. Numbers are, aren't, aren't perfectly helpful in all situations, but numbers can be indicators of things. And I thought about the scriptures, and the scriptures talk about us like a body. And do numbers tell the whole story? Of course not. Can you get in trouble fixating on numbers? Of course you can. But can numbers sometimes tell you things that are helpful? Yeah, sometimes they can. And as someone who is very concerned about the health of our church, you know, and someone who wants us to be a healthy, vibrant, God-honoring church, I want to know why this is. And I want to know if there's anything we can learn about that or if there's anything that God would say to us about those things. Facts are our friends. Facts are our friends. And so what, what are some things that we can, we can learn about that? Well, as I think about, these, these, I think about these, um, these charts and I think about the numbers, two questions come to my mind, at least two, but for the sake of time, we're going to focus on these two. Two questions. One is this. Why is it that most mid-sized churches are declining? And then second question, is bigger always better? Is bigger inherently better? Is there something about being bigger that is just inherently better? Well, let's start with the first question. Start with the first one. Why why are they declining? Well, there, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it has to do with resistance to change. That's Sometimes that's the big thing. Sometimes it has to do with turning inward rather than focusing outward. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it's actually you're focusing too much outward and not enough inward. Sometimes it's a leadership thing. You got the wrong people in leadership. But sometimes it's also this. Sometimes it's just because the members want more than a smaller mid-sized church can offer. And that's not always bad. Sometimes people just long for more than a than a smaller mid-sized church can can answer or, or can, can provide. Parents, you know, a lot of parents in the smaller mid-sized churches were like, come on. What are you offering? Because I only, my kids are only kids for a period of time. My teens are only teens for a period of time. What can, what can you do to come alongside me and help during these key years? Some people, they desire better quality teaching. They desire better quality music or whatever the case may be. And usually in most small, mid-sized churches, you've got 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And for some people, after several years of that, it just gets exhausting. It just gets exhausting. And they need a break. So there's all kinds of different reasons. All kinds of different reasons. But I want to I talk about uh, this one for a minute. Oh, I, you know what? Before we do that, let's just go, let's talk about the second question. Is bigger inherently better? And everyone in this room knows the answer to that question. Is bigger inherently better? No. It's not. Bigger isn't always better. There's nothing about just being bigger that's better. In fact, some of you are here with us. Because you were in an experience where bigger wasn't better. And it was, for whatever reason, it wasn't a better experience. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't helping you growing or whatever. So bigger isn't always better. Not always better. Um, in fact, there's scripturally, you can look there and you can see the bigger isn't always better. The Bible warns us. The Bible warns us against, it, it calls them ear ticklers in some translations. The Bible warns us against just following the crowd to the the teachers who tell you what you want to hear. The Bible specifically talks about that in the New Testament. You know, about, warns us against following these teachers who who just say the things you want to hear. And some of the largest churches in America do that. So we see it still happens. Some of the largest churches in America, they they teach things that aren't necessarily God-honoring, but that people want to hear. Not always intentional. Sometimes they believe those things. But that's how some... Churches grow. And if if your church is growing because of that, is that better? No. Another warning we have in the scripture is this. Um, In the scripture, we're warned against just chasing after the miraculous. And and you see this from time to time, too. People, again, good intentions, they want to go where it looks like God is moving. And so they hear stories of the miraculous happening and, and signs and wonders, and they flock to that. Here's my challenge there. What did Jesus do when he noticed crowds were swelling because of a miracle? When he started to pick up on people were not there for the right reasons. What did Jesus do in those situations? He pulled the plug. He pulled the plug. Or he said something like, You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. To which people are. What? You know, so when, when Jesus picked up on the fact that people were the crowds were swelling for the wrong reasons when it came to mirac- miraculous signs and wonders he pulled the plug so there's another example of, of a, a bigger not being better well those two you can find in the scriptures there's another one that's more modern a more modern expression that, that I personally have to, I have to be careful because I can you can fall into this trap and usually this, this more modern expression, it, it doesn't start off with anyone trying to do this. It just happens. In fact, people have great intent when they, when they, when, before this happens. There, there are people that think, okay, I want to reach my community. How do I do that? Well, greater excellence. You know, and is there anything wrong with greater excellence? N- no. Not necessarily, not inherently But there's some people they do that They want to say, oh, I want to provide more practical Bible teaching I want it to relate to people's lives Nothing inherently wrong with, with that either um, They think, hey, I, I want to uh, be more seeker-friendly I want, to, I want to appeal more to those who aren't going to church Anything inherently wrong with that? No But here's the, what's the danger Here's what could happen And, and when this happens, bigger isn't better when somewhere along the line, the pastor becomes more like a CEO than a spiritual shepherd, or, the, or the, the elders become more like a board of directors than spiritual overseers, then that's not good. Somewhere along the line, frequently a desire for excellence becomes a production. And when that happens, that's not good. Somewhere along the line, practical Bible teaching can morph into self-help talks with Bible verses being nothing more than this is my supporting evidence. And that's not good. Somewhere along the line, the, the, the idea of we want to help disciple the next generation, somewhere along the line, it can become more about keeping them entertained and excited and bringing their friends rather than equipping the next generation to become disciples of Jesus Christ. When that happens, that's not good. Somewhere along the line, as, as you grow, weddings and funerals, they can become impersonal. You know, it can, it can be something... I, I know of many situations where members of the church, they don't even know the officiant at their at their wedding or at their funeral. You know? And, and that shouldn't have to be that way. And somewhere along the line, this can happen. There's this danger where because you've got to keep things moving, because you have to numericize and metricize and programize the great mysteries of God, the nuances, the, 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 the richness of who God is and what God does and, and how God even saves, it, it becomes simplified, streamlined, so that you can you know, keep it simple. Now, there are some churches then where they have these great intents, great intentions, but somewhere along the line, um, the vine got cut off and no one knows because the thing is so painted and so polished and looks so good that no one knows it's not Jesus who's filling this thing. You know, and the danger there is then you're producing these consumers of religious product rather than making disciples. That's the danger. That's another t- a situation where bigger isn't better. And that's the one I, I really fear. Okay, well, what does this mean for us, all right? What does this mean for us? Here's what it means for us. Our... Um, Our attendance last year, year year-to-date, when you averaged out all our Sundays, including kids, was 284. That's how many we had last year. Where does that put us on the normal graph? 284 puts us in the most challenging category there is, the category that is declining the fastest. So I thought it might be good to say, okay, God, what would you say to us? Because I am one. I am not... I refuse to believe that our best days are behind us. I refuse to believe as a four-year-old church that from here on out, we just slowly decline, we turn inward, we settle. I refuse to believe that. Thank you, thank you. I refuse to believe that. And I'm not content to settle in either. Because even though bigger isn't inherently better, there's some things that we'll be able to do that we can't do now. I would love for our teenagers, as a person who once was a full-time youth worker, I would love for our teenagers to have somebody in our church. They are full-time. This is your number one priority as an employee, as a member of this church. Your 100% of your time is to help build disciples of Jesus Christ who are teenagers and support their families. That's what you focus on. That is 100% of your, your, your stuff, rather than Tim and I doing the best we can with the time we have and help trying to build teams from there. I would love that. I would love that. I would love for us to have somebody whose full-time um, position is to help people connect. That's their full-time gig. They, their job is to help you connect with other people, to grow in your relationships with God and others. I would love to do more for the couples who are engaged. I would love to do that. Not to, not to have a better Slick program, but more individualized time and attention with these couples. And then not only that, but those who are married. To be able to have someone who's more focused on helping navigate all the challenges that come, come with that. And we could go on and on and on. I would love our church to be able to ensure that every kid at Emmanuel Children's Home is sponsored. That more houses are getting built in Minneapolis. That that the food shelf in Shoreview is never short of food. I would love for us to be able to do some of those kind of things. So I refuse to believe that our best days are behind us. Bigger isn't always better, but sometimes bigger, you can do more things that you can't do now. So, how do we do this? How do we grow in a God-honoring way? How do we become bigger without just being big box? How, how do we continue to, to stay connected with the vine? The imagery that came into my head is a glass ceiling. You know, it, This is a glass ceiling. We, this doesn't have to be a thing we bump up against and then fall through. But as we break through the glass ceiling, being organic, how do we make sure we don't sever the vine along the way? How do we make sure we, this church that God started this continues to be the church that he is, is empowering and shaping and growing. So, for that, let's open our Bibles together. Um, let's look at John 15. Let's look around the context here with the time we have. Let's look at the context surrounding the passage we looked at. This is John 15. Let's do just verses 1 through 3 first. John. All right, and I know a lot of you are up late. Who is up late? Again? All right, so the people who had their arms up, give them an elbow if you're sitting next to them, all right? Not a real hard one, just enough to. All right, John 15. Let's go one through three. Here we go. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Okay, I'm going to do this quickly, but let's let's talk about what the scripture says here. Vines and vineyards. Oh, we could have some fun with this one, but we'll do the best we can with the time. Vines and vi- vineyards, those are old and sacred images that God uses to talk about his people. You see it in, in the Old Testament, um, in, and, and you see it throughout the scriptures, this, this idea of, of vines and vineyards being... Um, uh, sacred images for believers In fact there's a passage in the book of Isaiah where God is depicted specifically as a vine dresser specifically as a vine dresser these, this is Jesus saying these words and he's bringing up this this imagery and here's one of the things that God as the vine dresser does he prunes there's a place to write this in your notes this is one of these things that we have to remember we have to lock in on and we have to be diligent about. If we want to abide in him, if we want to remain connected to the vine, we, if we want to break through this grass ceiling without coming seventh from the vine, we've got to prune. That's what the scripture said. Prune for God on our results. Or more, maybe more correctly, say, let God prune us. We need to do that. One of our models as a church is if everything is important, nothing is. If everything is important, nothing is. We have to focus and say, what are the things, God, you would have us to do? Because so often, whether this is with us as a church or just you in life, you have to learn to say no to the good so that you can have God's best. If you don't say no to the good, you're not going to have the best. So, so that's part of what this means, to prune. We have to, we have to say um, a lot of whistles and bells that we could go after right now, or at any point. Is that what God would have? Even some programs that could be good programs. Some some opportunities for us to to, to um, give benevolence. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But one of the reasons you don't see a display rack that's like this, with all the stuff that we get every week, is because then everything becomes white noise. And rather than going after God's best, we settle for good. All right. So that's part of what this pruning is. Means, um, but here I want to give you a little bit more. Can we put the the John fifteen one through three back up for a second? This you don't see in English, but here's something if um, if we were looking at this in Greek, there's some wordplay going on here. As there frequently is in the scriptures, there's a wordplay because the word the Greek word for prune and and the Greek word with cleanse. Um, there's there's similarities there, and there's there's links between the two. And look how it says here: when he prunes, you're going to bear more fruit. Already you are clean. So there's some wordplay going on. Some of the stuff that God wants to prune is stuff that never should have been there to begin with. There's there's the pruning of the good so we can have the best. There's also the pruning of the what are you doing with this anyway stuff. In churches, we can fall into that. It was interesting as I was doing my research, I'd never really thought about this before um, and heard some of it. In the temple, as Jesus is saying these words, in the temple, I guess there was this enormous golden vine in the temple, this enormous golden vine. And there is a first century historian, Josephus, and what he said about that vine is, over time, wealthy folks would bring lavish gifts to the temple. And these lavish gifts then, artisans would come and they would weave it into the vine. So that you had this vine, and Josephus said, some of the clusters of these gifts were as tall as a person. Well, how did that help people become a better disciple of God? Right? We have, we're going to have to be diligent as a church because we're going to be tempted to, to, to get the cooler this or the cooler that. When we outgrow this space, we're going to be tempted to just perhaps do something that we shouldn't do. Let's just say someday God gives us a building, and I, and I hope... That as we develop a family of churches, that at least one of them has a place where we can do weddings and funerals. I hope when that day comes, if that day comes, we don't just start making golden vines in there. And sometimes our golden guy, golden vines can be really cool electronics. Oh, it's to reach people. Well, really, maybe. Or programs. Sometimes programs can be golden vines. There's all these things. We have to be very diligent. Because not everything we could do is something that we should do. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's continue on. Um, let's keep reading with uh, 15. Let's look at another of these principles that, that, that keeps us connected to the vine. John 15, verses 4 through 9 says this, Abide in me. Again, he says, This is Jesus saying this to his disciples. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit For apart from me you can do nothing If anyone does not abide in me He is thrown away like a branch and withers And the branches are gathered They are thrown where? Thrown into the fire and burned That is harsh language But it's true I mean I look at these vines That I pull out of my yard All they're doing is sucking nutrients Right? These vines that I have, they don't produce fruit. They kill my trees. They kill my shrubs. You know. And, and they're not even good for fire. I try to burn these things. They don't, they don't really even burn well. That's harsh language. That's what God's saying about those of us who claim to be believers, but aren't producing God-honoring results. But look at the grace here. Look at the grace, because it's not produce results, then you get to abide in me. If that was the way it was, that would be bad news, not good news. But the good news is that first get your act together, then I'll, we can abide. It's the opposite. It's if you abide, then I'm going to produce the fruit through you. What verse was I on? I'll just pick one of those where I said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is. Did you get that? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever first abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered thrown in the fire and burn. if you abide in me my words in you ask whatever you wish it will be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father loved me so I have loved you abide in my love alright let's I've already commented on this a little bit let's see if there's anything I didn't say yet Uh, abiding in Christ if you haven't done this already write this in your notes one of the other things if you want to stay connected to the vine we've got to abide we've got to abide the fruit that we produce if we don't abide it's not fruit that will last it's not fruit that glorifies the Father God the Father is not glorified if we have really good programs and people are coming because as consumers they're getting what they want God is glorified as we do what he would have us to do As we build disciples, as people who are strangers become friends, as his good news is proclaimed, as the lost come home, as believers mature, as resources are well stewarded, as relationships are reconciled, as the poor find compassion, as families are strengthened, as hope is restored. By this, by that, God is glorified. That's where the glorification of God comes. And all it begins as we abide with God. What does that word mean? The, the Greek word is not a word that translates well into English. Some translations in your Bibles might say abide. Others might say remain. An interesting one is dwell. Some of your Bibles, any of your Bibles use the word dwell? That's an interesting one, and it's it's got some, it's, it's an, an accurate one. Um, in fact, the verb form of the, the word uh, dwell, or the verb form of dwelling place is the um, the word that's being used here. And that's great imagery. We are to to abide is to be in the dwelling place of God. Isn't that beautiful? To abide in him, it means to be in the dwelling place of God. What great imagery. In our early days as a church, here we are, we're four years old. Back in our early days, but in our early days, we abided out of desperation. We had no choice. God, we don't have a place to meet. <laughs> Would you please give us one? God, our contract is coming up at the place that you gave us to meet. What comes next? God, we got to pay the bills of this place that you let us come to. We need you to show up and do that. We dare not ever lose that. You know, one of the dangers that happens as, as we grow is now we have a little bit of money in the budget. Now we have some systems. Now we have some things that have worked in the past. You can fall into this trap of just trusting that and trusting yourself and not desperately going to God and saying, God, what do you have for us? We don't want to fall into that trap. We want to abide. We dare not ever rely on ourselves or our programming or facilities. I never want to wake up someday and have a beautiful, you know, this and that and the other thing, and everything's all slick, and recognize we're just a painted vine. Never want to have that. All right. third insight let's look at this one quickly and see what we can glean um, we'll read on uh, John 15 10 through 11 says this if you what keep my if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his loves his love these things I have spoken you look this is good that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, Full. I, I don't want to miss the joy before we get to the commandment part. Um, joy, that your joy may be full. The purpose of this is not to have these miserable people who are following God. If we do these things, if we prune, if we abide, and if we obey—which is the next one we're going to look at—if we obey, if we do those things, our joy is full. I have never ever been in a joy-filled, declining church. I've been in a lot of other churches where. Is not the joy. And usually that's because the fruit of the Spirit, you know, it's things like joy. These things, if we do these things, it's not just, oh boy, here comes more hard work with pruning. Okay, here, abide in God, I've got to get with my devotions. Oh, okay, obey this last one, I've got to obey. There's a joy that comes corporately and individually as we do these things, as we prune for God honoring results, as we abide in Christ and as we obey God. Now, obeying God certainly means, certainly means just obeying the stuff that everyone, every believer is supposed to obey, right? Don't kill, all right? 2012, one of our goals as a church, don't murder anybody, okay? You know, don't steal, okay? On your way out, don't sneak a chair home with you or something, okay? Um, That we get, right? But I think obedience for us, it means trying to discern, okay, in addition to all the stuff that's for everybody, God, how do we be obedient? You started this new church. This was your idea. I was one of many who said, why in the world do we need to plant another church where there's other churches? It's because God has plans for this church. We need to be obedient to that. What is the unique voice that he has for us? This is just tip of the iceberg stuff, but here are some thoughts. If you're new about who we are, or good reinforcements, if you've been around for a while, some of the things that I believe God wants to do with us. None of these... Are unique in and of themselves. There are other churches doing these, but I don't know, I don't know of another church around here that, that's doing all of these in this combination. To be intentionally intergenerational, that's one of the things God has for us. You know, if you're waiting for the Sunday when every song is for you, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for the day where every message is designed for you, it's not going to happen. We don't have that target market, you know. It's, we're trying to be intensive generational. This one too, pursuing sound doctrine while maintaining unity in Christ. We're going to do both of those things. If you're waiting for the day where I say this kind of baptism is wrong or that one's wrong, if they're both within the scriptures, you're not going to hear me say that. Or, or you're not, If you're waiting for the day when we say you can't be a member if you don't speak in tongues, that day's not going to come. There's these things that that a lot of churches we divide over that I believe God wants to speak in a voice in this area that says, you know, when God-seeking, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, intelligent people look at the Scriptures and they disagree, there might be a reason for that. But at the same time, not being wishy-washy. The Bible says Jesus was the Son of God. He's the Son of God. You know? Okay. Um, teaching as Jesus taught, in your, in your notes, you'll, you'll see um, some of the, 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 the topics we're going to look at over the course of the year. Um, I believe Jesus, when you look at the scriptures, Jesus didn't just do expository teaching, which is open up the scriptures and then just, here's what it, just explaining it. Did he ever do that? Yes. Will we ever do that? Yes. When we move towards Easter, we're going to do 10 weeks for that. I think it's the first 10-week service series we've ever had. We're going to be looking at John's writings. 10 weeks. And not going in saying, okay, here's our nice little theme. What does John have to say about it? It's like, what does John say? You know, so we're going to do that but Jesus also said consider the lilies of the field he also did all these other kind of things and so one of the things you see over the course of a year there is some stuff that is about relationships and family there's some stuff that's expository there's some stuff about reaching out there's some stuff about money because in this area oh, we need to talk about it there's these different things you'll see it. we try to get teachers Jesus taught okay striving for excellence that isn't a liability that's a little program thing do we want to do things well yes do we ever want our program to lead? No. All right. This one. I believe part of our voice is to do the both and of vintage Christianity, to, to incorporate colors and, and things like that, but also fresh expressions of authentic faith. Another one, Sundays. Sundays that are both seeker and saint friendly rather than seeker or saint-centric. Trying to have that. We try to this is a time where we bring the believers together. You know? We come together. On the, on the Sabbath. All right? Our unique voice. Really training the next generation. Can you see the youth director and me coming out here? Um, I want to talk about that really quick. Training next generation. You can't just give talks. You can't just tell. You can't. That, that doesn't work. We're just keeping them occupied. It doesn't work. To help train them as disciples of Jesus Christ. Kids and teens. Also This. With, when it comes to um, compassion and justice and outreach, not just, here's our check. Here's our bulletin board with 50 missionaries. What does that mean? Oh, I don't know. But to be mild deep, mild deep in our relationships with, with, with folks. All right, this is, again, this is huge to me, maintaining a family checkbook that we are unashamed to show our father. I think about that one all the time. You know, as we look in our office, it's so easy to throw down 300 bucks for a piece of furniture. Okay, God, is that what you would have us do? It's so easy to think, oh, could we spend money here, spend money here, spend it? Well, if we had that much, but, but maybe, <laughs> it, maybe someday it would be easy. But, uh, but I want to be in a place where we can, where literally you're thinking, okay, Jesus Christ, here, is, here are our books. Is this how you would invest your money? Because it's not ours, it's yours. All right disagreeing without sinning. I just heard this language, a guy named, a pastor named Bill Hybels. I I don't know if he coined it, but I heard him. I'm like, that is the language. That we disagree without sinning. Are we going to disagree? Oh yeah. We're going to disagree. Where two or more are gathered, Jesus is there with them, and there's disagreements. You know, those are two truths. We're going to disagree. But when we disagree, can we do it without sinning? Leaders, when we we have a direction that not everyone agrees, can we do it without sinning? Can we do it without running people over? Can we do it without these manipulative tactics? We better, or snip the vine. And then people in the congregation, we're going to disagree over things. When we disagree, can we can we do what the scripture says and, and come and talk and have conversations? Or are people going to be gossiping and being divisive? That stuff kills churches. kills them. And then desiring to become a family of community churches, planting community churches. As we grow, I would love to be able to plant more churches. Community churches. Not franchises. Not Emmanuel Covenant, North, South, East, West. You know, for us, I believe to really have it be community churches that are speaking to those unique needs. So these are some of the things that I, that I think God has for us. This and more. And I'm excited to see what he has for us. But part of us abiding, pruning, and obeying is to really seek what he has for us. You know, and not just copying what someone else does. Healthy things grow. You know, God gives us these examples. And he gives us an example of his vine. I can't stop the vines in my yard. You pull them up and they pop back up. They just grow. They grow. In fact, they grow to the top of my tallest trees. Healthy things grow. And, and a glass ceiling, that's nothing something that's healthy and, and growing. I've seen roots from trees break up concrete. Maybe some of your foundations of your house. Get a tree too close. <laughs> healthy things grow. But as we grow, let's make sure that it's God fueling it. So that's, that's something we got to call each other on. That's something that we that we got to be diligent about. Here's the last passage of the scripture I'm going to look at. I, I just summarized verses 11 and 16. And I think it's a great summary. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy in you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You did not choose me. Let's remember that, you guys. You did not choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. Worship band, would you come up? Let's dedicate 2012 and the rest of our our time to him. Let me pray that prayer of dedication and then let's all prepare ourselves and gather around the Lord's table together as we start this new year. So let's pray. Father, we want to dedicate not just 2012, but our future to you. Father, I, I ask, we ask that you would continually, that your spirit would, would not be silent, but that instead you would would teach us and show us what needs to be pruned. Whatever it is, whatever it is, let us fear nothing other than falling away from you or disobeying you. So Lord, help us to fear nothing with that. Lord, help us to abide. I pray, Lord, this year more than ever that our team leaders would set the example, myself, others, that we would not just jump into our agendas, but rather we would seek yours. Help us to abide in you as, as individuals and as, as a church. Lord, and obey. May again, we, we be fearless in that. And when we are afraid, Lord, may we boldly act in the face of those fears. So that this could be a year that honors you and our, our church could be a church that honors you. Lord, we, we acknowledge that We did not choose you, but you chose us. And we acknowledge this is your church. And we ask, Father, that, that in all the years to come, that would be clear, that it would be Emmanuel, God, with us, rather than anything else, Lord. So, Lord, we dedicate ourselves you. When we dedicate this time, we pray now you prepare ourselves to receive from you fresh and new, that we may start this year not just on the right foot, but transformed. Lord, I pray that old selves would be left here, and that new selves would walk forth. So, Lord, now, even as we pray these prayers, Help us to to pray them with sincerity as only your spirit can do. So cast out everything, God. Cast out everything in this room that is not of you. May your spirit now speak. May your spirit worship through us. May your spirit bring to light things that are not honoring. In our own lives, Lord, what what should be pruned? Lord, in our own lives, what does it mean to abide? In our own lives, what does it mean to obey? Tell us these things. And then through your spirit, empower us to leave